Hello, welcome back to season two of the Machete and Quill podcast. This season, we are reading the novella, The Witch of Farathon. If you are joining us for the first time and you haven't listened to or read The Forest of Despair, don't worry, The Witch of Farathon can easily be enjoyed as a standalone novella with no knowledge of the other books in the series required. Just make sure to start at chapter one of this season and listen in order. Being a novella, this will be a very quick read-through. There are only 13 short chapters, so with one per week, it'll take just around three months. If you would like to support my writing endeavors, please purchase my books at ryanhoytauthor.com or on Amazon or any other online bookstores. My fantasy books include Gemma Coverson and The Forest of Despair, the just-released sequel novel, The Isle of Abandonment, and this prequel novella, The Witch of Farathon. The final book in the main trilogy is expected to be released in late 2024. If you enjoy horror, I have a novel called Raventree Hollow and some short story chapbooks. Stay tuned after this short chapter for behind the scenes look at the creation of the story. Thank you for listening to the Machete and Quill podcast. Previously on The Witch of Farathon, Jermaine Fielder seems to be the only person that doesn't trust Nalia Lunara the mysterious newcomer to the town of Farathon. Now she has her claws buried deep into his best friend Gethin's heart. Germain sets off to deliver ale from his family's brewery to the neighboring kingdom of Emerson, but he is intent on grilling Emerson's young king about the time Nalia allegedly spent with the monarch. The Witch of Farathon, an Epistel Chronicles novella. By Ryan Hoyt. Chapter 7. Harold's ascent to the throne of Emerson had come unexpectedly early, but it had been completely free of drama or intrigue. His father had been an only child, as was he. There had been no close relatives to try and hold regency due to his age, nor anyone to dispute Harold's right to the throne. Even had someone attempted, they would not have gotten far. Harold and his father were deeply beloved in Emerson, and the people had celebrated his crown as vigorously as they had mourned his father's passing. Like his father, Harold was a man of the people and was not above spending time among them. He could be found dining at restaurants in all the villages he visited. He knew many of his people by name. He only stopped short of appearing as entertainment at children's birthday parties because there was not enough time in the day. And, at seventeen years old, he was also prone to drinking and merrymaking with his close friends, whom he kept in his court by giving them advisory titles. He kept the elder generation of advisors from his father's rule around as well. But he knew that the kingdom would have to continue to adapt in order to be progressive in their ever-changing world and he thought his friends could help him attain that goal. Edward Smythe was one such friend. I do apologize, but his majesty will not be able to see you, Edward said. He is unwell at the moment. He will be absolutely overjoyed to hear that these casks have arrived, though. Perhaps that will give him the pick-me-up he needs. Your family makes his favorite ales. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that the king is ill, Germain said. He gestured around the castle's courtyard. I hope there's nothing serious going around. Everyone looks a little more glum than usual. It's unnatural in this place. 
Yes, well, it's nothing contagious, so no need to worry. We will all be back at the old song and dance by a week's end, I'm sure. But Edward's face betrayed whatever optimism he tried to exude. It was unnatural, and Germaine didn't like it. Perhaps you can help me then, Edward. It's about a woman. Edward stumbled back, and the color faded from his cheeks, as if Germaine had told him his mother had died. A woman? I... I don't know that the king and I can help you with your relationship problems. Perhaps you had better seek counsel elsewhere. Germaine wasn't sure if Edward was just bashful on the topic of the opposite sex, seeing as he was barely past puberty, or if there was something else going on. Edward turned and started to walk away when Germaine called out to him. Her name is Nalia Lunara, he said. Edward stopped in his tracks, but did not turn around. I believe she's a witch. And why do you think it is necessary to trouble the king or me about this supposed witch? I think you know why. I think she's been here, and I think you know exactly who and what she is. Edward turned and stared intently at him. If King Harold got rid of her, Germaine continued, I'd like to know how he did it without her burning down this castle. Edward walked back to Germaine and lowered his voice. She left the castle intact, sure, but some of its inhabitants did not get out unscathed. He looked around. Some of the castle's staff was still unloading the casks of ale from Germaine's cart. I'll have the stable master put up your horses. Follow me and I'll make sure a room is prepared for you. I'll give you one night here. We'll see if the king is willing to speak to you by this time tomorrow. If not, it's back on the ferry for you. The staff inside the castle looked more dour than Germain had ever seen them. As Edward led him through the service halls to a room in the midst of the servants' quarters, he noted that most of the staff avoided eye contact, and those whose gaze he did meet looked at him distrustfully. This did not feel like the warm and welcoming place he visited twice each year. He didn't like it at all. A knock woke Germain early the next morning. As he wiped the sleep from his eyes, the door opened. A young maid of ten or eleven opened the door and peered in at the visitor. King Harold is ready for you, sir, she said. I'll be outside the door when you're ready, but don't keep his majesty waiting long. Once she shut the door, Germain sat up, threw back his blankets, and dressed hastily. He didn't have the time or the outfit to make himself presentable, so he didn't bother doing more than running his fingers through his hair, hoping to tame his bedhead. The girl was waiting for him in the hall. I'm Adelina, but people call me Addie. Come this way. She led him through the narrow walkways, zigzagging between busy servants, sacks of laundry, and suspicious stairs. Thanks for coming to get me, Addie. Aren't you a bit young to work in the castle? She glanced back, but kept up her speed. Nonsense! The king himself was hardly out of diapers when I was born, and he's leading the bloody country. Besides, my mum is a seamstress here, as is her mum, as I'll probably be too. My pa is part of the castle guard. I have nowhere else to go. She led him down a stairwell. Now, he's in quite a mood again today. It's been a strange couple of weeks here already, so try not to make it worse. They approached a set of doors flanked by two guards on each side. 
Jermaine surmised by the proud nod one of them gave to Addie that the man was her father. The doors opened onto a long audience chamber. Addie walked in ahead of Jermaine, leading him over an elaborately stitched red carpet. She bowed in front of the dais on which stood a throne. Jermaine caught up and did the same. Mr. Jermaine Fielder of Ferrathon, your majesty, the girl announced. She turned and walked to the back of the room, leaving him alone in front of the king. Ah, Fielder, how I could have used your ales over the past weeks to drown my sorrows, the king said. He was slouched in a manner that would have brought shame to the tutors of his youth. The brewers of Emerson could certainly learn a thing or two from your family. Perhaps I should send them down to your humble town to take a few notes from your father. It's my honor to deliver our wares to you, your majesty, Germain said. Harold signaled to a servant standing off to one side. The man stepped behind a curtain and returned a moment later with a mug of ale, to Germain's surprise. We've already tapped one of the barrels. I hope you don't mind me drinking in front of you. It makes quite a breakfast. Harold took a long gulp of the dark brew. And what is it you wanted to speak to me about? It's about a visitor we've had in Ferrathon, a woman who calls herself Nalia Lunara. The king choked on his beer. The servant rushed over and took the glass from him as he recovered. Miss Lunara, you say? Is she causing trouble for you down in Ferrathon? We had a beast of a time with her here. Well, we've had some rather odd occurrences around town that coincided with her arrival. I suspect that she's... Jermaine looked around. He was embarrassed to say it. His voice shrank considerably. A witch. The young monarch stared at him in silence for a moment. Then a smile broke out on his face, followed by laughter. Oh, you just suspect it, do you? More laughter mocked Jermaine. Well, friend, there's no suspicion needed. She certainly is a witch, and she's a bloody dangerous one. Be careful, Fielder. Be very careful indeed. What did she do to you here, your majesty? Harold rose from his throne and stepped off the dais. He waved for Germain to follow, and the visitor obliged. They walked through a doorway behind a curtain and into a smaller room, featuring a dining table full of food. Sit, the king ordered and Germain obeyed. In a flash, three servants filled their plates and then exited the room, leaving Germain alone with the king. I haven't been sleeping well lately. Look at the spread. Breakfast, lunch, and supper rolled into one. The servants don't even know what to feed me anymore as I sleep in the afternoon and break my fast in the middle of the night. Harold stuffed his mouth with eggs and a meat pie. Germain couldn't resist the mashup of meals, he was famished from his journey, and Edward hadn't sent any food to his room the previous evening. He ate voraciously and waited for the king to supply information at his own speed. In the meantime, Germain offered small talk about the brewing process and his sister's experiments with different hops and grains. I should like to meet your sister one of these days, Fielder. Perhaps she can travel here with you on the next delivery run. She would certainly love that, Your Majesty. She's only been up to Emerson a couple of times for the big fair of the North when we were children. We were probably just around your age the last time, eight or so years ago. Harold's fork and knife clattered as he dropped them on his plate. My age, yes, he looked at Germain. My age is something to be spoken of by all who regard me, it seems. 
No, I'm sorry, your majesty. I didn't mean anything by the comment. Oh no, I know you did not mean to offend. You're a good man, Fielder. I like you a lot. It's just that there are some who would try to take advantage of me due to my lack of years in this world. Germain pressed his luck. And is Nali Lunara one of those you speak of? Precisely so. King Harold looked resignedly at Germain, as if he knew there was no reason to hold back. She came to us as a girl my very age. She's so strikingly beautiful, and just different enough from the other girls I know to make it clear she is not from around here. She came to my court only about two moons ago. It was very quick, really. That was all she needed to get us in her grasp. She charmed me. I invited her to sit right where you are now, and she took all her meals with me. She whispered in my ear when I had callers in the audience chamber, gave me advice on matters of state. I took her out and showed her the land, and we greeted my people together. There was a long pause as Harold thought back. One evening, as my courtiers and I were staying at an inn on the western end of my kingdom, I heard a noise outside. It was full moon that night, so when I looked out the window of my second-floor suite, I saw her clearly on a low hilltop nearby. I put my clothes on and tiptoed out to her so as not to wake my guards. As I neared the hill, she turned to me. Her hair blew in the breeze, and that's when I saw something that didn't look right. It was not the stark red, but silver. I took a few steps closer, but she quickly turned and ran down the other side. But before she was over the crest, I got a good look at her. She wasn't a girl my age at all, but an old crone, wrinkled skin, gnarled hands. It's... she... Germain couldn't get the words out. For once in his life, he didn't know what to say. It's impossible, it's insane, I know. But it happened. I ran up to the top of the hill, and when I looked down... She was on her way back up from the other side. She looked normal, the same gorgeous young woman I had known for nearly a month. She grabbed my hand, and I remember it felt shockingly cold for a split second. She kissed me on the cheek, and we walked silently back to the inn and parted ways for the night. The next morning, the innkeeper complained that his dogs had gone missing. I sent a couple of my guards out to help find the mutts, and they returned shortly after with a report that the dogs had been located on the far side of the hill, the side Nalia had gone to in the night. They were dead, savagely mutilated. Germain dropped his fork, which snapped him out of a stupor. I'm sorry, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Yet it's not far off from what happened to a friend of mine back home. Dead animals, shifting appearances, and she charmed him as well. He's completely blind to what she really is. Your friend may be in danger. I was her target here, and perhaps your friend is the one she has latched onto in Ferrothon. You made it out alive, though, Your Majesty. What happened after that occurrence? She acted quite normal after that. I didn't see her do anything too unusual, but I also grew quite distant from her. She knew what I had witnessed, and she didn't try to convince me that it was a trick of the light or anything. A couple of weeks later, she told me that she had to move on. In the middle of the night, she was gone. I had assumed she went back up north rather than down to Ferrothon. I wasn't sad that she left, but since she's been gone, it's as if the lifeblood of this entire castle has been drained, 
sucked out by a leech, if you will. Everyone feels lethargic and just off. Good for you for recognizing it. You're a wise man in the body of a boy. Jermaine drained his mug as he pondered the situation. As much as he wanted to head back home to check on Gethin, he felt that there was still much to learn. You said she came from the north. Where exactly in the north? I'm not certain. She was brought to the castle by a textile merchant that we do business with. Melchin, his name is. He may be able to tell you more. We haven't seen him since. And where can I find this Melchin? Jermaine asked. He comes down from Elm Springs, a three days ride north of here. If you stay on the main road, you won't miss it. Jermaine stood up. If you don't mind then, I'll take my leave now. I must learn more about this woman before I return home. I hope there is a home to return to, Fielder. Be careful. Whatever she is, there is a dark power within her. Why she left us mostly unscathed, I'm not certain, but it seems as if we only narrowly missed some kind of disaster. Germaine said his farewells, then let Addie lead him out to the stable master. The king had already sent the order for the safekeeping of Germaine's cart and one of his horses. Germaine saddled up the other horse and sped away from the castle along the road to the north. All right, well, that was chapter seven of The Witch of Farathon by me, Ryan Hoyt, here on the Machete and Quill podcast. Now that we're in the kingdom of Emerson, we are finally able to step back and get the big picture of just what a place may look like that Nalia Lunara has had her way with. Everyone in the castle seems lethargic, even though it's normally a thriving, bubbly, happy atmosphere. Imagine the terror in Germain when he thinks what will become of his own hometown if this is how Emerson has been affected by Nalia. This chapter was one of my favorite parts to write in this novella. I was excited to get a glimpse into the young King Harold. He's like a celebrity among his people, idolized or fantasized over depending on one's preferences. He is described in a way that is nothing like the broken old man in the forest of despair as this was a few years before he became obsessed with dark prophecies, and before he invited the foreign ones to take the reins of his kingdom, leading to the enslavement of his people. I don't think those acts had anything to do with Nalia, but this may be his first brush up with the supernatural. There are another two fun Easter eggs here as well. The girl Addie is the same Addie that dresses Gemma at the castle before she meets Harold near the end of the Forest of Despair. Seems that she grew up to follow in her mother's and grandmother's footsteps. The advisor Edward Smith, or Smythe, who allows Germain to stay and meet the king, is someone else we heard about in the Forest of Despair. He is the father of Richard the Elusive. All right, well, I can't wait to show you what happens next. You can find out for yourself sooner if you would like to purchase a copy of the book in paperback, hardcover, or ebook. You could find signed copies at ryanhoytauthor.com slash shop, or you can buy it on Amazon or other online retailers. Thank you for listening to the Machete and Quill podcast. Uh, the songs of this podcast are all original compositions and recordings by me. I'm your host, Ryan Hoyt. Until next time, take care. <laughs>